Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Good morning, everyone. You know, there's lots of different ways to share God's word. Um, lots of different ways to organize a message. Lots of different ways to communicate. Um, one example we see in scripture is just to open up the word of God and share with the people. It, the Bible calls it the public reading of scripture. And that when you do that, um, God shows up and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the one that convinces us of the truth. And so, um, similarly, you know, I, I have a, I, I work, um, I work on different projects. I'm a computer engineer. And similarly, when you're communicating, you have a lot to say. But for those of you who are experienced in writing to executives, you need to give them a one-liner that summarizes everything you're about to say. Because they might be busy. They might, get, they might have too many things. Sometimes it's because they're busy. Sometimes it's because they have too many things on their mind. So you got to cut to the chase right away. And then later you give them more details to the degree that, that, they, that they're hungry. And so today, I'm going to give it away in the first verse. And, and, and so I want you to pay close attention to the very first verse. And then after that, hopefully, um, the Spirit of God will prompt in you to desire to listen and to pay attention uh, as we develop, as, as we see more verses in the Bible that speak about sonship. The essence of sonship, the essence of being a world-changing son is found in John chapter 10, verse 30. And this is it. We're gonna, this is what we're going to talk about all day, all morning. This is what a world-changing son is. I and the Father are one. A son is defined by his relationship with his father. You can look it up in the dictionary. By definition, the son is a relationship to a parent. We're talking about our relationship with God. I and the father are one. And we're going to, that's what it means to be a son. That's a very profound statement. It's very simple to say, but what it means is very profound. And so we're going to get into more verses to explain what it means and to help us understand it. But what God is after are sons. And a son is one with his father. He has the same heart, the same mind, the same desires, the same plan. There is no, there's a saying in English when people are, are on the same page, they say there's no daylight. If you want to say that we're in agreement, you say there's no daylight between uh, myself and Emilio. That means if you look at us, you can't, there's no separation. You can't tell where one stops and the other one starts. That we're one. 
The same way that the Bible says that a, that a, a man will leave his mother and father and become one with his wife, one flesh, the Bible says. It's that same concept of from the two, there's one. If you look at Jesus, if you look at God, we understand in the Bible that it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So even though it's God the Father and God the Son, it's one God. And so there is the most important thing about our relationship with God is that we would be one with him. And we have to learn what that means. And so let's start by going to John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing but what he sees the Father do. And whatever he does, the Son does in like manner. Watch this. Oneness with the Father means you don't do anything but what the Father does. What does oneship mean? What does oneness mean? I don't know if oneship's a word. What does oneness mean? One of the things that Jesus teaches us is we don't do. It's, it's being a son speaks about what we do, how we live. I don't do anything that I don't see my Father in heaven doing. Now embedded in this verse is also the fact, how is it, how will, how does Jesus know what his Father's doing? It says, but what I see him do. So oneness with God, sonship, speaks about doing what the Father does. But if you take a step back, the only way to know what the Father does is to see what the Father does. That means you have to be watching. I can say as a young man, or I could say when I was a young man, when I was a boy, I used to watch my father, every movie made. If you see me today and you see him, we don't look alike physically because I look physically like my mom. And, um, but most people would say that the way we speak, if you hear us on the phone, we sound exactly alike. Myself, my brother, and my father, you can't tell them apart. I've had my brother call me, and I thought it sounded like my dad. I've called people, and they've said, is this the father or the son? My brother and I work, used to work in the same company, and they, people would get, you know, we're in a phone directory, so our names, we're both names start with J, so we're both J Palma, so they go to the phone directory, and sometimes he'll get an email that's for me, I'll get an email that's for him, or a phone call, Everybody that speaks to my brother says you sound exactly like your brother and vice versa because we grabbed, we learned by watching, we learned by proximity, we learned by being close to our father when we were young. And the men of God in this church, the Bible says, and, and uh, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. How is it that we are to imitate someone. You have to watch. You have to listen. So being a son is about oneness, with, being one with God. And 
being one with God means that we do what he does. We don't do what we want to do. We don't do what we think we should do. Leave the verse up, please. We don't do what we think we should do. We don't do what we want to do. We, we watch God, and we use that as our indicator, as our barometer to say, what should I be doing? How should I live my life? How should I speak? How should I act? How should I react? Even internally. Because sometimes you'll say something, but you'll feel something else. Sometimes, you know, we learn to, um, we make an effort to control our words. But God also wants to change our heart so that our internal reaction aligns with the words we speak and aligns with the actions that we take. So God wants to make us like him. And we do that by watching. Um, whatever he does, the son does the same way. The son does what the, he sees the father doing in like manner. So we say we don't sit there. Here's the thing. Pride says I can do it better. Pride says I see my father, but I can do it better. So I'm not going to do it his way because what does dad know? Sounds like uh, teenage years, right? Somebody said, you know, you guys have all heard, many of you have heard the, sta the statement. Um, when I was growing up, my father knew everything when I was young. Then when I became a teenager, he, he started to get really dumb. But the great thing is that once I turned 20, 21, 22, he started to get smart again. Was dad getting dumb and smart? Or was the child viewing and, and appreciating his dad's wisdom differently depending on the stage of life he was in? And so um, teenagers, believe me, no matter what you think about your dad, when you get older, you'll realize that some of the things that he taught you, and if you have a godly father, most of the things that he taught you, um, he was right. Amen. Amen. And so um, notice how it, a pride says, I, I'm not going to do what my father does because I can do it better. I'm not going to do what my father does because I don't want to do that. I want to do my own thing. But he sees whatever he's, the, the Bible says, whatever he sees the father do, the son does in like manner. Not only he does the same thing, he does it the same way, to the same degree. And it's one thing to learn what somebody does, it's another thing to learn how they do it. And it's just a matter of paying close attention, spending time, and your heart being right. I want to have the right heart, Lord. Uh, verse, actually, we're going to go to a similar verse in John 5.30. The first verse was about what we did. If you don't have it, if you don't have this translation, leave it there. But if you have it, if you could put the New American Standard, I think it would be good for this verse. Otherwise, just leave that one. Um, here's another verse, same chapter, where it says, I can do nothing uh, myself. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is righteous 
because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The translation in New American Standard that says, I can do nothing, I can of myself do nothing. The New American Standard says, I can do nothing of my own initiative. I can do nothing of my own will. Initiative speaks of what I, something that I start, initiate out of my own will or desire. So it says, I can do nothing, I can initiate nothing but what I hear my father say and do. And so being a son of God speaks, number one, about, in no particular order, but it speaks about um, oneness with God, which is what you do, but it's also what your desire is. It says here, I don't do anything out of my own initiative. I don't seek my own will. I have my own will. Jesus said, Father, let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. We're going to read later the suffering and the struggle that Jesus went through because it was his, not his will to do what the Father was asking him to do. It's a powerful statement. We never think about it that way. It was not Jesus' will to do what the Father asked him to do. Will, if you look it up in the Bible, the definition of will is desire. I was teaching, I was sitting Tuesday night uh, with my girls, and we've been planning to have a home Bible study with the girls, and we're always busy, and finally we sat down, and we said, all right, girls, sit down. I'm going to give you a little trick if you ever try to do this. It goes south really fast because they go to, you know, especially if you have your kids in Christian school, they get Bible study at school, Bible study at church, you know, five days a week, then at night, another. So they were like, we don't want another Bible study, but they love worship and they all have their favorite songs. So we started out, okay, tell me what, what's your favorite worship song? So we picked, so that worked out. But in what I was teaching them, I said, girls, there were two words we talked about. One was worship and one was will, doing the will, not doing our will, but doing God's will. Listen, so many times our kids, they hear the words, but they don't know what they mean. My kids didn't know. They couldn't put their, they get the concept. They know what it means. They know what we do when we say we're going to worship, but they couldn't put their finger on exactly what it meant. So I had, we had the Bible in one hand, a dictionary in the other, and Whenever there was a word we couldn't figure out, somebody looked it up. That was fun too. But the point is, will, when we think of God's will, it's nothing more, according to the dictionary, it's nothing more than God's desire. What is God's desire? What is on God's heart? Jesus did not desire to go to the cross. He said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup, let this assignment pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. A son has his own will, but he doesn't do it. When we tell you, not, when we tell you to do God's will and not your own will, we're not saying that you don't have a desire. The Bible says that 
Jesus suffered and struggled with his assignment that he didn't want to do. But that's what a son does. He's one with the father. And he says, Lord, he says, Father, he didn't say Lord actually. He said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And so a son is one who does what the father does. I'll go a step further. It says he doesn't do anything. This is, it's one thing to say he does what the father does. It's another level to say I don't do anything except what's on the list of things I see my father doing. I, just, I don't participate in anything except what I see the father doing. That's, that's a son. That's a world-changing son. And then it says, I don't do my own will. I seek. It says, I do not seek my own will. I'm not trying to figure out how do I marry God's will with my will. How do I, they call it straddling the fence. How do I have one foot, how do I obey God and do his will and at the same time get what I want? The Bible says, I don't seek my will. You take your will, which is present, which is strong, it's powerful, it's, it's the very essence of who you are and you put it, you submit it and say, it's there, but we're going to do God's will. I'm going to do the will of my father. And we're going to read more. Um, it's hard to do God's will. It takes everything. But it brings the ultimate reward. And we're going to keep, we're, we're going, to keep going and see more of that. Ver, John chapter 6, verse 39 and 40. So what is God's desire? What is God's will? If, we're, if as a son, if oneness with God, if oneness with our father is what sonship is about. And sonship is about doing the will, the desire of our father. What is God's desire? God is awesome. Because when we read God's word, we'll read something and say, I don't understand what this means. And the next chapter First, chapter 5 says, do God's will and don't do your own will. Okay, great. What's God's will? I'm glad you asked. Chapter 6. And this is the will of him that sent me. Look how clear the scripture is. Because people who don't read scripture, people who have an agenda to make a point, will say that we, um, that people who believe the word of God, um, Everybody has their own interpretation. And you can, they basically make the point that the Bible, you can read the Bible and, and, and make it to mean whatever you want it to mean. And if you, you can certainly twist anything, you can certainly twist anything um, and deceive yourself as to the meaning of something. But look how clear scripture is. If you do that, you have to do that on purpose. You have to do that with, with a wicked or, or a, a twisted intent. Look how clear the scriptures read. This is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father. That all which have, we all he has given to, that of all he has given to me, I would lose nothing, but should raise up on the third day, next verse, 
And again, this is the will of my Father, that everyone that beholds the Son would believe on him and have eternal life and raise him up on the last day. What is the will of the Father? That they would look at the Son and believe on him and have eternal life. The will of God is that everybody would come to Jesus. The will of God is that everyone would come to Jesus. The will of God is that we could look at his sons. Who are the sons? Jesus is the Bible, and we'll read that. Jesus is the firstborn. The Bible says the firstborn, which implies there's more, right? But then you, you don't have to go with the implied. It says he's the firstborn among many brethren. That means there's many brothers. God's will is that they would, verse 40, look upon his son, look upon his sons and be drawn to him. God wants that people would look at you. God wants that people would look at your life, that they would listen to your words, and that they would be drawn to the Father. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That means people, that, that is a saying, people should be watching you, and when they watch you, they should see Christ. Yes, sir. That's what that means. It doesn't, when this verse says that they should behold the Son, they're supposed to behold the Son. But they're also supposed to behold the brethren who are walking like they're, the, the Bible says, the firstborn among, their, among many brethren. We're supposed to be walking like Jesus, that when they look at us, they would, be draw, they would draw near to God. They would see the glory of God in our lives. And so, as a son of God, our life should bring men to salvation. That's what the Bible says. The will of God is that they see your life, as, that they see my son's life, and that they, and as a result, they should believe on him and have eternal life. That God's desire is to bless his children. God's desire is to give them eternal life, to save them, to bless them. And God's desire is to use his sons to reach the lost. By beholding, not by listening to the words, not by listening to a preaching, not by coming to church, by beholding the son, by watching your life. That's the difference between religion and reality. Religion is, the religion means many things to many people. It's a lot, in many cases, it brings to mind rules, regulations, um, rituals, uh, traditions. The Bible doesn't say beholding the traditions, beholding the religion, beholding the rules and regulations, beholding the son, beholding your life, you're one with God. And as they watch what you say, they watch what you do. They watch how you live. As they see that, it says that they believe this guy knows God. Amen. And that they're drawn to say, I want to know this God. I need this God. And so oneness with the Father is that people would see our lives. Behold not our religious actions, but our life. Behold who we are and that they will be drawn to the Father. 
We're going to go now to Hebrews 10, chapter one, uh, Hebrews 10, verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 1, and we're going to go through chapter 10, I mean, through verse 10, so we're going to go through it quickly. It says, for the law, the law, the rules, the regulations are a shadow of good things to come, not the image, not the very image of the things. So the law, the rules, and the regulations are a shadow, but not the very image or the very thing. Um, not the very image of things can never be the same for the, let, me, let me read that back. Let me, let me go over that again because I'm losing it. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of things, can never, with the same sacrifice year by year, which they offer continually, make perfect them that draw near. Verse 2. Else they would, be, they would not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having been once cleansed, would have no more consciousness of sin. But these sacrifices... Uh, but in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance made of sins year by year. For, for it is impossible that by sacrifices, that by the blood of bulls and goats, this is what the, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish people used to do. Their rules, their regulations, their religion was the blood of bulls and goats. It's uh, sacrificing bulls and goats. It's impossible that through the blood of go bulls and goats, shin, uh, sin should be taken away. Verse 5, wherefore when he, Jesus, cometh into the world, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou, actually, yeah, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body thou didst, you did prepare, um, keep going, for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifice you have no pleasure. Then I said, I come to do the will of thy God. The sum, let me see if, there, if we can cut it off there, because. So verse 5 says, sacrifice and offering, rules and regulations, a list of rules is not what you've desired. But you've prepared a body for me, verse 7, to do your will. You have been given your life. Your life has been given to you. Not to fill rules and regulations. Not to check a box. The Bible says to do God's will. It says he doesn't desire the blood of goats. He doesn't desire the blood of bulls. Meaning he doesn't desire religion. And ritual, which that's what these things were to the Jewish people. He does not desire it. Somebody taught us God wanted religion, rituals, smoke, um, ceremony. Jesus said, God said, I don't want that. I gave you your very life and breath, your very body. I prepared to do your will so that you would do my will. I gave you your body. I put you on this earth to do my will, to do my desire. Most people take the approach, I'm going to go check a box because I think that's what God wants. 
I'm going to do everything God wants me to do, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to do what God wants me to do, then I'm going to go do what I want to do. And religion becomes, let me check the box so that I can have a clean conscience or so that I can be, feel righteous, and then I'm going to go do whatever I want. The Bible says, I don't want any of that. I want you to do my will. There is no, when you become a son, there is no, I'm going to go do what I want. There is, what does my father want? My father's awesome. My father's good. My father is wiser. My father knows more than I do. Listen to me. The things, I have four girls, the things that they ask for sometimes, crazy. Crazy. Dangerous. Terrible for them. For them. But they, and they ask for them, and they can't believe that I would say no. But someday they will learn. They'll be parents. I sound like my parents now. Someday they will be parents, and they will see that I'm looking out for them. That my perspective is better than theirs. So a, a son doesn't want to do, a, a son wants to do God's will. <clears throat> a son eventually understands God knows better. His will is better than my will. I have a will. My kids have a will. But sometimes their will is going to get them into a lot of trouble. And they, they're going to suffer. And it's either A, not good, or B, not right. Sometimes their will is not right. It's not the right thing to do. Sometimes, you know, it's funny. My daughter this morning was telling me, something that we had an issue at the house i don't want to give it away but we had an issue at the house and my daughter was telling me how we could solve the problem i said do you have any suggestions she said yes i do we can lock my sisters in the room until it's time to go i said that's great would are you included in that she says oh no not me so many times our will is either not good the result, the end, re it, it might be a good intention, but the end result may not be good. Or we might think it's good for us, but it's not the right thing to do. And so, <clears throat> as a son, we say, not my will. My father knows better. I want to please my father not, and not do my own will. And we, that's what we've been put on this earth to do. Um, 1 Samuel 15.22, more on this same topic. And Samuel said, has the, has the Lord as great delight... Mm. What translation is that? Can you guys help me back there? That's NIV? Okay. All right. And Samuel said, hath Jehovah as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? Does, does he delight as much in religion and ritual as in obeying the voice of Jehovah? Does God want, as a son, as a, if, if you have children, do you want your children to ask you for a list of rules and say, God, Dad, leave me alone, just give me a list of rules, I'll obey them, and I'm going to go do my thing. That's what we do with God. God, I don't want to get close to you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. Just tell me what you want me to do. I'll do it and I'll be on my merry way. It says, 
hath Jehovah as great delight in ritual and religion as in obeying the voice of Jehovah. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to listen, to hearken, to listen better than the, than the uh, fat of rams or the sacrifice of rams. Here's an interesting story. Um, in church, we have, we consider this, now we consider, Jesus considers this God's family. This is God's family. And every now and then, there'll be a daughter in the church who has a son in the church or somebody will come looking and saying, hey, I like her and I think I want to get married. And so guess what they do? They send we, if you're a daughter in this house, you're in a good place. Because unless you reject our um, counsel and advice, you have a place of protection. You have a place of safety. Because men of God, who God has placed in this house to, to guard the lives and the, for the, the good of the daughters in this house, will put those guys to the test. Run them. Listen, I have four daughters. They're going to have to go through the grinder. They're going to be refined, seven, like the Bible says, seven times by fire. And so here's the thing. My wife was a daughter in this house. And I, got, I went through that same process. And so every now and again, when there's a brother in the church that wants to approach a daughter, many times they say, why don't you go talk to Pastor Palma? And they... Almost, I don't want to say almost, always, they want a list of things to do. Tell me what I have to do. Give me the bullet list of things that I need to do so that I can go to the next step. And I said, brother, I look at it, you know, and I say, what would I want for my daughters? And, and honestly, that's how the pastors look when, when, when a man is comes to ask for the hand of, an, of a girl in marriage, we look at it, what would I want for my daughter? And there's not, a, there's not a checklist of things. And, I, and there, was a, there was a gentleman that, that had, been, has, had approached me and said, what do I need to do? Tell me what I need to do because I think I've done everything. I don't know what to do. I said, brother, you're focused on doing. And I think if I had a daughter, I would want to look at who that person is. Not what he does, not what he can check off on a box, but who he is. I want to see oneness with the men of God. If we could look at your life and say, you're one of us. That when it's time to go to battle, we count with you. And I know what I can expect from you. And I can look at three other guys. And those three other guys can tell me, bring that guy with you to war. That's what I want for my daughter. Oneness of heart. Oneness of spirit. 
I want the best for my daughter. The guy that comes better want the best for my daughter. We should be on the same team saying, how can I help so-and-so? You thought I was going to give it away, didn't you? How can I help? What, what does this person need? How can I be a blessing to her? What is good for her? So we should be on a son. And what I was telling this person, we need to have the same mind, the same spirit, the same purpose. Man, that guy, you know what? I got four girls. I don't know if I'm going to get the boy. I'm signed up. I'm waiting. I'm giving my wife some time. Don't ask her about it because it's a give her a year. Give her a year before we bring that back up. She's not here, so I can say that. She's in the... So I'm looking for a son. And it might be a son it, 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 in, when, when, when somebody comes, I'm looking for the attributes of a son. Certainly, hey, when they get married, they are, um, the Bible says that they leave their father's house and they go be one on their own. But while they're in my house, <laughs> until such a time, if I'm going to make a decision, this man is good for you, I need to see in him oneness, not with my particular agenda. I say oneness of spirit and of mind because my agenda is to do God's. If I see in him a one, oneness here, not my will, but thine be done, that's the oneness. I'm, not that he would want to do what I want to do, that we both say, let's put our will aside and let's do what God wants. Amen. Let's both put my opinion aside and let's try to find out what God wants. Let's go, let's put my desires, my plans, let's put all of that aside. So the oneness is not that he's going to join my company. The oneness is not that he's going to come work for me and we're going to build, a, a, you know, a, a, an empire. The oneness is that we both say, not my will, God's will be done. How do we together, how do we together do God's will? And, and that is um, much more powerful. That is what God desires from his sons. And that's what we desire. That's what I desire for my daughter. And if you're coming for one of the daughters in this house, you just got the first lesson. <laughs> the first conversation we're going to have when you ask me, what do I need to do? You already got it. So you, we, can go, we can move on to lesson number two. Amen. 11.40. Hosea 6.6. 6. For I desire mercy. You know what? My translation says, I desire steadfast love. This one says, I desire mercy. My translation says, I desire steadfast love. And the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. As a son, what does God want? What's the number one commandment? Love your father with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A father or, 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 or a world-changing son is one that does the will of his father. What is will? Desire. 
What does God, so then we say, what does God desire? I desire love, not sacrifice. I desire that you would know me, not religion and ritual. The knowledge of God. I desire that you would have the knowledge of God, not the book knowledge, not the religious knowledge, that you would know God. That's what the Father desires. A world-changing son knows his father. A world-changing son, we could probably sum it up in this. He knows his father, he loves his father, and he does what his father wants. wants. He does his father's desire. A world-changing son knows his father, loves his father, and does his father's desire. So where does my desire fit. When is my desire done? Well, you could look at it one of two different ways. One way to look at it is that your principal desire is to please your father. And so because your principal desire is to please your father, your secondary desires take a back seat. The other, the other way to look at it is this. The definition of a son is his relationship to his father. And so when you start to say, when do I stop doing my father's will and I start doing my own will, and that's when you stop being a son. The, relation, the, the, the essence of the relationship, the essence of being a son, let me say it this way, the essence of being a son is that relationship. And so if a world-changing son or... If Jesus said from the time of his birth to the time of his death, not my will, but yours be done, then we will do our Father's will until such a time as we decide we don't want this relationship anymore. And then we'll start doing our will. But our relationship with God Jesus said it. Jesus said, it's interesting because I never put these two together until I was preparing for this message. Jesus, how many times have we read about discipleship where Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Every, <clears throat> almost every teaching about discipleship speaks about denying yourself. Why? Jesus knew he was going to have to deny himself. Jesus knew his life was a life of denying himself. So if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be a son, we have to deny ourselves. The, that's, the, that's the cost, the Bible calls it. It says count the cost. See if, it, if, if, if you're willing to pay it. The cost for the great prize, the cost for the great treasure of our relationship with God, and everything that he has for us. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to run through it, so just be ready to click next. If there's any encouragement or exhortation if there's any encouragement in Christ 
If Christ means anything to you, if Christ and your relationship with God is something positive, is something encouraging, if there's any comfort of love, if you've been comforted by the love of God, if there's any fellowship in the spirit, if any tender mercies and compassions, verse two, make, my, make full my joy that you may be of the same mind. So, a world-changing son is not only one with God. A world-changing son, the Bible says, is one with the brethren. Make my joy full. If Jesus means anything to you, make my joy full, being of the same mind, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Leave the verse there. Leave it. Let's go back to two. We started talking about oneness with God. What does oneness mean? What does, when we say being one with someone, what does it mean? Whether it's one with your wife, one with God, one with the brethren, what is oneness? That's a deep statement. I and the Father are one. What does that mean? This verse gives us a glimpse, an introduction. It says, being of the same mind. I have an opinion, the other one has another opinion, everybody has a bunch of opinions, but we put those aside and we say, let's be, let's find God's opinion and let's all agree on that. Be of the same mind, have the same love, being of one accord in agreement and of one mind. Verse three, do nothing, my translation says, do nothing out of selfishness. I have two translations that I looked at. One says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and do nothing out of selfishness. Take a step back. How many things do you do out of selfish ambition? That should be a filter for you where, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those, those commercials or those videos or maybe this, maybe this is something that you... Um, it's part of your work, where there's a factory and they have a guy doing a quality check and there's a hundred things coming through the machine, like our brain, and our, our brain's going a hundred miles an hour and we're doing quality checks. Up, oh, this one's stained. Up, oh, this one's broken. Up, oh, this one is out of alignment. And they're throwing out the thing, they were throwing out the product that is not, that doesn't have the quality, the right quality. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition. That means when, um, when you're deciding what you're going to do, when you're deciding how you're going to speak or how you're going to react, the Bible says if it's motivated by selfish ambition, that's an automatic out. You're, that's a red card. You're, going out of the, you're not getting a warning. Selfish ambition, you're out. Do nothing from selfish, ambi selfish ambition or, <clears throat> let me see the other, this says vainglory, which is not a word we use every day. So let me look for, uh, what I had here was, this is verse three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit. So number one, don't do something out of selfishness. Number two, don't do something because you think you know better than everybody else. Conceit is, my ideas are better than yours. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit. But in, hu in humility, this is oneness in humility. 
<clears throat> of mind, each one count each other as better than themselves. The opposite of um, empty conceit and the opposite of selfishness is humility, considering others as better or more important than themselves. That promotes, how do we become one? This, will, this is a great start. This is a great start. If you can be humble, and if you could put other people first, I bet you that those people, you becoming one with them, will, that process will accelerate. That process will start to become a reality. If you can, listen, just take this home with your wife. Just take this home with your husband. If you could stop speaking out of selfishness or acting out of selfishness and thinking that you know better, you, you do nothing with that as a foundation. And then you come back into it and say, but with lowliness of mind, with humility, and counting them better, giving more weight to what they have to say, you do that, and you're going to be sitting pretty. You're going to start to see oneness that has been so elusive, so impossible. So where do I find it? It's actually simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. And it begins with humility and with putting the other person first. Verse 4, not looking each of you for his own things. My translation says not looking after your own needs. Not being concerned only for your own needs, but also for the needs or the things of others. When you start to con concern yourself about someone other than yourself, you start to build a relationship. You've seen it. Who are the people that are closest to you? I'm willing to bet they're people who've concerned themselves with you, who've maybe helped you out or gone through a difficult time with you. And so that cultivates relationship. When we stop, and the Bible says, we're to be one with the Father. The Bible also says, a world-changing son is one with the people of God. And this verse is actually for the people of God. To, be, to have one mind, one spirit, one desire, considering each other above themselves. Verse 5. Having this mind in you, which was also in the world-changing Son, Jesus Christ. Which mind? Verse 6. Even though he was God, who existing in the form of God, did not try did not count equality of, of, with God to be something to be grasped. He didn't hold on to his position. He didn't hold on to his title, his position, his, his status. It says he didn't consider that. But instead, verse 7, he emptied himself. Everything that would stop him from laying his life down and obeying, he just said, I don't care about it. I'm emptying myself of everything and taking the form, God was our example, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, humbled himself and became obedient. A world-changing son is obedient even unto death and death on a cross, verse 9. So that's, that's a terrible 
Go back to verse 8. This is tough. Why would anybody do this? What would motivate us to do this? Our relationship with our Father. Our love for our Father says, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. And when you do this, when you're obedient to death and death on a cross, when you obey the Father and don't do your will, now this is your Father's response to his children. Verse 9. Wherefore, God also highly exalted him after he had done, after he had done God's will. After he was obedient unto death and death on a cross, he gave him the name above every name. When we humble ourselves, God exalts us. Verse 10. He gave him the, mo the name above every name that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, verse 12. So then, my beloved, even as you've always obeyed, not, in my, not only in my presence, but also much more in my absence, work out your... Salvation with fear and trembling. When we humble ourselves, God exalts us. The more we humble ourselves, Jesus paid the ultimate price. He, he went from the highest place. The highest place that could be found is equality with God. He humbled himself, he emptied himself, and took the lowest place. And so, because he did that, he died, he was obedient to death on the cross, God exalted him back and said, you now have the name above every name. At the name, God doesn't, watch what God is doing. God is not even, God the Father didn't say, Jesus was equal with God. He humbled himself. Now the Bible says, Jesus' name is the name above every name. It doesn't say at the name of God the Father, every knee will bow. It says at the name of Jesus, the Son of God, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. So God, God will brought him to humble himself to the uttermost so that he could exalt him to the uttermost. And so we need to put our will aside. But if we dare... And if we pay the price to put our will aside to do our Father's will, we will be exalted as his sons. And God glorifies himself through his sons. Amen. You going to close up? Amen, amen. Uh, I had a feeling that Pastor Palma would slam dunk this and would be the greatest expression of the Father's heart towards our life. Um, this message is worth 
marinating in and uh, just continuing to, because everything that is the secret of our heart's desire is in the relationship with dad. People don't understand that. Um, rebellion is the opposite of that. So in the father's desire and the right relationship with the father. So um, the hallmark of Jesus teaching to his people was the prodigal son. The prodigal son grabbed prematurely and ran in the direction of his heart's desire to end up with a bunch of uh, crazy, stinky pigs. Um, and then he has to come to this thought in Luke 15, 19. He says, I need to go back and tell my dad to make me one of his servants. So, so this is where a lot of people are. They, they don't understand sonship. So they says, I'm going to work real hard so that I could be, you know, worthy of a wage. And there is no wage in sonship. Everything is yours. Everything. Everything is everything. We, we, we can't, if you have a slave mentality, you need to work for what you're going to get. So you try to negotiate a relationship with better wages. But when you're a son, you're just being prepared to handle everything that's going to be put in your care. Everything, everything is everything. It's just a download. And, and so um, until we don't perfect this in our heart, um, this, this is our attitude. We could only think about, okay, they want us to be slaves. We, they want us to work and to be servants. And no, it's just a preparation of sonship, which is a greater understanding of our existence. Now, look what the Bible says in, in, real quick in John um, chapter um, 8. I think it's probably, let me see if I have it. This is amazing that I would not have it. Let's then. Let's let's take a shot. 835. I didn't put it on my notes, but it was still in my mind. A slave never dwells in family. If you, if you have a servant mentality, you're not thinking about staying around. You're thinking about getting what you're going to get, and you're going to take off with it. But a son stays in the house the whole time. He, he's not thinking about going anywhere. We talked about that, the difference between a, a stray dog and what was the other one? A country dog and a city dog. A, a country dog is not going nowhere. A city dog, you, you got to tie him to stay inside the house. He doesn't understand that that's where everything is going good for him. So a son, he's not going anywhere. He's just trying to say, I need to get in this right relationship with my dad so that I could tap into everything he has for me. A, a, a slave, a prodigal, an orphan, an illegitimate son is struggling. Let's stand this morning. Thank you, Pastor Palma for connecting with the Father's heart. <laughs> Hebrews 3 verse 5 says, Moses was a faithful servant in the house of God. Look at the difference. Moses indeed was a faithful in all the house, 
that God gave him as a servant. That, that's a great lesson. If you, if you want to be a Bible student, if you want to learn how to be a Christian, you know, congratulations. That's a step up from what you were. But Jesus came, verse 6, Moses indeed was a faithful in all the house as a servant, but Christ as a son. You guys catch that? Go back to verse 5. Moses indeed was faithful in the house as a servant, but Jesus, faithful, verse 6, Moses as a servant, Christ as a son over the house. So uh, there's a big difference. My, my, just I hope that, that, that this is good from last week, world-changing dad to world-changing son. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that we could sit under the ministry of anointed men who have your heart. We pray, Father God, that we might capture your heart also, Lord, and we might hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Follow him. Observe him. Behold him. Give us a son's heart to be connected in oneness, in one mind, one spirit, one disposition, one priority, one pursuit, O oh God. Father, we don't want to be slaves with a will imposed upon us. We want to be sons that say, I, no, one, no one makes me do this. I, I seek to do it of my own. I lay my own life down to be a son, to, to do the Father's will, to seek the Father's pleasure, to honor the Father. Father, and then allow us to reflect that glory upon the earth to be sons of the Most High God, to be daughters of a family, daughters in a house. Take away rebellion, disobedience. Take away uh, defiant, independent spirit, O oh God. Take away all that's going to limit the inheritance you have laid up for sons and daughters, O oh God, in a faithful home. We give you thanks for healing our hearts, O oh God. We give you thanks, O Lord, for your spirit that cries, Abba, Father. We give you thanks, Lord, that you don't leave us as orphans and prodigals, Lord, wasteful. We pray that your spirit would just guide our steps the rest of the week, Lord. We pray for blessing upon every household, upon the finances, Lord, upon the peace. Multiply your peace. We pray for Dr. Molina, Lord, that you continue to allow him to recover and heal, O Lord. We give you thanks for restored marriages and restored families and sons that come back home, Lord, and get into right relationship with your purpose for their life, Lord. Allow us to grow up in all things, Lord, to be faithful stewards of the things that you have for us. Give us the cloak, O oh God. Give us the ring. Give us sandals upon our feet, O oh God. Give us the fatted calf, Lord, and celebration of a son that has returned home, Lord, who is dead but now is alive, who was lost but now is found. We desire your heart for us, O oh God. Let us put away sacrifice and efforts to gain posture in your presence, Lord, and just enjoy the extravagant, lavish provisions of sonship. In Jesus' name we pray. And the house of God says, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.